Welcome to the Cambridge Tech Podcast, talking all things technology from the heart of the UK's tech capital. Here are your hosts, Faye Holland and James Parton. Hi, I'm James. And I'm Faye. So other than the fact that we're sitting together as we record the Form the Future annual conference, which will be a future episode, what else have you been doing this week? This week has been another Trinity Bradfield Prize intensive week. So we're right in the middle of our workshops with student applicants, which have been going really, really well. That's been a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, lots of prep for the podcast, lots of Bradfield stuff, just, you know, endless Busy, busy, busy. Endless end of year stuff. It's gone manic again. Yeah. Uncontrollably busy. So the start of the week, I went to Norwich, actually, for the Innovation Hot House event, which 21 to Watch was partnered with. It was really good. I kind of think we need to spend a bit more time in Norwich Roadshow. because Roadshow. Roadshow. Road, I know, Roadshow. I know you, Roadshow. I know you keep saying it. You keep saying it. We will. Well, and actually, now we're going to be like Thelma and Louise next year, aren't we? We're going to be driving around the country. Well, I was. Th- it was me and Tabitha that were Thelma and Louise. Oh, so now, do you want to be Thelma oh, and Louise? If I'm not in the gang, just tell me. Oh, okay. Right. Anyway, let's swiftly move on. <laughs> so, <laughs> back to the innovation hot house, James. It was really good. Very different technology very different kind of innovation so a lot more societal a lot more kind of impact on well-being and health and those types of things but there was some really interesting stuff that I'm sure we can pick up on on future podcasts a company called Opo who actually were in the top three that was Waterless Beauty which was really interesting for me they were the most disruptive one an agri-tech company that's predicting crop profiles which again is something very relevant definitely across the east of England you know we've got a big agri-tech hub around here and then there was one on male fertility as well which was really interesting so it was good you know it was a really good day and I met loads of people that I'd never met before which for me is really interesting so I did that I was at the Bradfield Centre on Wednesday I did my last cofinitive comms clinic of the year so 40 out of 40 appointments of helping people And I actually had a really interesting conversation with one person who's setting up a tech company. Brilliant at the tech, no idea about marketing. So that was just, it was a perfect one to kind of end the comms clinic ones with. So that was that. And then we have news, don't we? As always. No, no, but we have news. I think the podcast has news. Oh, yeah, well, you do, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, we're we not... We changed not, the name of the podcast. Yeah, what are we changing the name to? The award-winning Cambridge Tech Podcast, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So Connect Health Tech, they named us community champions for our support of the ecosystem, which is like, it's really lovely because that's exactly what we set up the podcast to do, to really showcase and engage, you know, the community and provide them insights. So I think we're we're really pleased, aren't we? Yeah, we're very proud and humbled by that. So thank you very much. Indeed. And if you want to find out who else was nominated and who won, just go to Connect Health Tech or use the hashtag Community Awards 23. And well done to everyone else who was recognised. Let's move on to the rest of today's news. Japanese car giant Mazda has strengthened its partnership with Cambridge Automotive tech pioneer Second Mind by investing in a new $16 million funding round. Mazda joins existing investors, Amadeus Capital Partners, Cambridge Innovation Capital and Atlantic Bridge Ventures. 
Cambridge Geospatial Technology Company One Spatial is part of a project that could provide 5 billion of economic growth to the UK economy. The government has just revealed that the National Underground Asset Register, which is a digital map of underground pipes and cables, is now available across England and Wales ahead of becoming fully operational by 2025. The NUAR is tipped to boost the economy via increased efficiencies in construction and development and less accidental damage to pipes and cables. And the next piece of news is from Cambridge AI company Luminance, who has partnered with Emma, and Emma being the world's largest direct consumer sleep brand. They are taking, Emma is taking its contracting and compliance legal activities to the next level. The partnership will see Luminance powering Emma to increase efficiencies by streamlining contract reviews and enhancing internal compliance processes across the enterprise. The announcement follows Luminance's recent unveiling of the world's first completely AI-powered contract negotiation with no human intervention. So that's it. They're your three bits of news for this week. So James, how did you come across this week's guests? Yeah, it's a really interesting active study at the University of Cambridge who are partnering with Cambridge Consultants and it's the meeting of key issues facing society today, mental well-being, AI and technology. Michelle Lim reached out to us to talk more about it. So welcome, Michelle and Nicole. It's great to have you here. Why don't you start by just introducing yourselves, Michelle? Yeah, and it's really nice to be here. Thanks so much for inviting us, James and Faye. I'm Michelle. I'm a behavioral scientist working at Cambridge Consultants. My background's in psychology and behavioral science, which seems unusual, but I'm fascinated by technology. And so I've been working to try to understand how to bring these principles from the social sciences into informed technology development and innovation. And some of our listeners might remember this is your second outing on the podcast, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. I was on here for the Metaverse podcast as well for the Cambridge Wireless International Conference last year. Good memory. (laughs) And Mikol? Hi, so nice to meet you and thank you for inviting me. I'm Mikol. I'm currently a postdoc research associate at the University of Cambridge in the Department of Computer Science and Technology under the supervision of the professor Atice Gunes. And my research focuses on developing socio-emotionally adaptive robots that can foster well-being through coaching and psychologically proven intervention. So we're here to talk about your work around looking at the use of robots to improve mental well-being, which is obviously fascinating. What prompted you to get involved in this kind of work? Nicole and I have been working for the past two years, actually, on this topic. We obviously have very different backgrounds. <laughs> Nicole looks at robotics, I look at psychology, but we, I think, share a common interest in understanding how do we bring research into life? How do we use technology to help solve some of the biggest challenges of society? So, yeah, do you want to share more about Yeah. That? So, actually, this project is like a spin off project from one bigger EPRC funded project led by the professor Atice Gunes that specifically investigate the use of robotic coach for promote mental well-being in people. And so a couple of years ago, I have contacted Michelle because there was a grant opportunity and the university was encouraging academics to collaborate with industry and business partner. So I reached out to Michelle and she was very open to start uh, this collaboration together. So... I wrote the grant with the letter of support from CC and the grant was awarded. And so we started this collaboration together. 
specifically focusing on deploying robotic coach to promote mental well-being in the workplace, so in the CC office. We really like to support early stage research because we're also really passionate about understanding, you know, what is applicable now? What are some of the challenges that we face? What are some of the benefits this could bring in? I think we're interested in developing technology that works ever closer to people. And it was really exciting to hear the work that they are doing. Michelle, you just said about societal challenge. Can you Mm -hmm. just tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, of course. So mental well-being is a huge, well, some say challenge, some say opportunity. It's both in terms of helping people who are struggling with things like depression and anxiety get on their feet and do whatever it is they want to do. But it's also helping people who may not suffer from mental health conditions flourish and do well. And I think that latter bit is the focus of our work. So I'll just put it out there. We don't think robots will ever replace you know, therapists and those really hard-working key workers who are doing those kinds of therapies. But we think there's an opportunity for the average person to benefit from positive psychology, which aims to help you flourish and be happier in your day-to-day life. So is the exploration of robots in part due to the supply-demand issues that we're seeing in places like the NHS? As awareness of mental well-being grows, we're now seeing a lot of demand being placed on the health service to react to that. So actually, this is the main reason why we decide to introduce robot for this specific application use. So we were kind of motivated from the huge gap between the demand for healthcare system and what NHS can provide to people. So, for example, 70% of children and adolescents didn't get the healthcare service they need. And if you want to apply for just a visit with your GP for getting, a, for example, a, a diagnosis or an assessment for your mental health, you can also wait for 13 weeks. And especially if also for youngest, it could be a huge time and, you know, that can really jeopardize their mental health. So robots are just some alternative tools that can help meeting this demand in some alternative ways. So again, we are not trying to replace professionals. We are trying just to provide the society with an alternative tools that can be used to promote mental well-being and prevent issues. And have you thought about or, or come up with any research on having that physical robot presence? Is that one of the key drivers for you? Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that because there are a lot of tools that support mental well that are available now that support mental well-being. There are websites, there are phone apps, popular ones which both are free and are paid. There's obviously in-person sessions. So, you know, what makes the physical embodiment, we call it, of a robot special? And I think Michael's doing a lot of research in that, but part of the thing is that idea of commitment. This thing is in a room, you have almost an appointment with it, it goes in your calendar. And we have feedback from our participants saying, you know, they feel like they want to be there and see this robot who remembers them from the previous session. The literature shows that apps like Edspace and Calm, they have a very high dropout rate after six, eight weeks because people kind of just forget about it. So the physical embodiment brings people more aware to the fact that okay, I'm just like walking by the room where the robot is placed and I remember that I have the possibility and the opportunity to do that 
on a specific time and space. So giving them a time and space really help people to keep commitment over time. And in terms of mental well-being, which is, you know, one of the key drivers here, is there anything that says people are happier talking to a robot than talking to a human being? Yeah, so actually our results show that people feel very at ease sharing their thoughts with the robot. Of course, there are a lot of other issues and problems that should be investigated more, such as the ownership of the robot in terms of like data that it collects. So people maybe worry, okay, if I'm sharing something with the robot, who is going to listen to that, right? So in the context of our research, this is very constrained. But if we think and envision it in a real life scenario, that those are boundaries that should be set and decide. So... Yeah, in in one sense, they were really appreciative towards the robot talking very freely. On the other end, there are more questions to be solved around data transparencies and liability. The idea of, you know, privacy and who controls the data, that is not a new problem. When you are in an in-person session of a human therapist, You also have contractual and patient anonymity and legality issues. We have solved this problem before for people, so they're definitely hurdles, but they're far from being a problem in scaling up. So in your introduction, Michelle, I think you made a really important point that this study is as much as looking at keeping good mental health heading in the right direction, as well as intervening where there's poor mental health, Mm -hmm. which I think is Interesting, because we don't talk enough about maintaining good mental health. Do you think the robotics element is key in all of this? And why do you think technology is important to solve these kinds of challenges for society? Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm a huge fan of this, what you say, preventative measure or this helping people to flourish beyond their average state. I think technology can come in before. So often the onus is on the human to recognize that there is a problem and then to go and seek support. I think we can live in a world which isn't dystopian, but where technology can help us identify stress levels, for example. So there are already hints of this happening with wearables like Apple Watch. But if people work in conjunction with technologies, whether they are biosensors or behavioral biometric sensors or behavioral sensors, then it's possible that we'll be able to spot hidden unknowns. So places where people are um, suffering, whether, and we have measurable metrics for this. So we know that if their calendars are too packed, then there's a greater likelihood of burnout and we can be more sensitive and more adaptive essentially to preventing and catching problems sooner and working in conjunction with the person to figure out what the best solutions are before, before they burn out <laughs> and crash and burn. So what are the actual capabilities of the robot? What can it actually do? How does it you know, display emotions, pull out those inputs from from the patients? So there are many different robotic platforms. They market what are called social robots, so like robots that are as the appearance of a humanoid. But I mean, there are not that many. So we have also a limited choice among which we can pick our robotic hardware, for example. And all of them have different characteristics. So the robot we use with the CC was like um, a childlike robot that has a screen off on, on the face. So we could control facial expression, lip sync, and anything related to that. And it has neck degree of freedom, so you can tilt the head or nod 
and it has Arma degree of freedom in the shoulder and in the elbows. So, I mean, the range of motion were like basically on the upper body of the robot while it cannot walk, right? Uh, but it doesn't really matter for the application case we have in mind. But there are other robots, for example, uh, Pepper, or now that maybe they are more known by the uh, public, it's like they are still humanoid robots, but they have not controllable face. So the face is static. It's just all a plastic face, right? So you can change the colors of the eyes or stuff like that, but you cannot really, you know, change the facial expression. But on the other end, they have more degrees of freedom. So they can stand up, they can sit down, they can walk. So depending on your, you know, goal, whatever you want to do with your robot, you pick the platform that in the best way deliver what you want and you try to make it working w with what you have. And on the software side, which I think you might be interested in as well, it can do clever things like connecting to third-party applications. So everyone's heard of large language models and chat GPTs. There are APIs now where you can connect um, it and using text-to-speech and speech-to-text actually create a really smooth, flowing and engaging conversation. So that is really new and I think quite an exciting capability for a lot of people looking at mental well-being as an application because ChatGPT by itself may not be exactly right, but you can put meta prompts, you can fine-tune it um, to operate within certain parameters. And that is um, an exciting development that I, I think people have still yet to explore the full potential of. So can we hear the robot? Yeah, of course. We're going to share an audio clip of a brief introduction of the positive psychology exercise delivered by the robotic coach that was focusing on savoring. So it was asking people to recall a memory and, and savor it. Hi, my name is Bobby. What is your name? Hiya, my name is Michelle. Nice to meet you, Michelle. So we're going to do four sessions of positive psychology practices. You may already be familiar with some of these exercises, but it can be useful to do them again. To remind you, the aim of positive psychology is to guide you towards focusing on positive things in your life. Often, the negative things in our life can get a lot of our attention while the positive things are harder to focus on. Focusing on the positive can help increase happiness and life satisfaction. So in total, we'll be doing four sessions together with four different exercises. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine by me. If you are a startup looking to grow in Cambridge, the Bradfield Centre offers a range of flexible membership packages which put you in control of your office and home working mix. There's a vibrant, collaborative atmosphere, on-site cafe, plenty of green outside space and regular member social events. We also offer a range of high-quality meeting spaces for hire and for tech event organisers, our auditorium, lakeside pavilion and atrium spaces are perfect to bring your communities together for in-person and hybrid events. For more information, visit bradfieldcentre.com or call 01223 919600.
we're probably right at the beginning of something here. So what features do you think would make a substantial improvement to the experience? And from what you're seeing on the technology, on the software and hardware side, what, where do you think we are over the next 12, 18, 24 months? I think we all agree robots can replace a human connection. But where the future is going, I think, is on studying the, what makes a human connection. So just like how, you know, you asked a lot about physical embodiment and why that's important. And while we know that, you know, for children, for adults as well, it's important, we don't necessarily yet ne know exactly what it is that makes it special. So there's a lot of research on, you know, technology-mediated presence, for example. So the idea is as you go from in-person to telemedicine, for example, to even to the future of virtual reality immersive experience and how technology and their own presence comes into this. I think there are some unanswered questions there. What I'm particularly interested in is on this deeper level of human connection. So at the moment, I think you can develop a really good listener. So someone who un understands what you're saying with large language models can ask great follow-up questions. But I think the next step is having that memory of the person, having that level of personalization. So if you get more data about the person, just like any um, good human therapist, the answers will be ever more relevant and ever better. And that real-time adaptive feedback encompassing both the memory of the person as well as the domain knowledge of a therapist, I think that's where an interesting advancement would be. Do you see these robots as being specialised for just this task in the same way that you would go to see a therapist? Or can you see a more generalist robot that you might have in the home doing different tasks but could also act as a mental wellbeing coach at the same time? This is a broader question. I was reading a paper about it recently. There are a, a different people who think you know, about how maybe large language models can solve a lot of things versus smaller specialised AI models. I'm more of the opinion that we would be interacting with many small and more specialized to the task AI models, which maybe talk to an interface that is based off large language model that can interact with you. So I think there will be aspects of your life, which would be, you know, say this is a mental well-being and they know a lot about you in that domain, but they don't necessarily know how good you are at your job, for example, or at cooking or at whatever. And I think it's more likely that there will be specialized models for each particular aspect of life and each task that perhaps interface to a more um, global system that can tap on these through integrated systems to help you. How does that apply to the physical robot? Would you see multiple robots in a home doing specific tasks? So just one therapist robot, or would you see more of a generalist piece of hardware that can do multiple things? I kind of agree with Michelle. So I do see also some like more computational challenges in having like a generic kind of model because the context matters. So if you are at home, maybe you want your robot to accomplish specific tasks that could be play the music or I don't know, playing some games. While if we are in a more, let's say, well-being context, the main idea is that the robot can help you as a coach. So it has a different purpose. And also in terms of data-driven models, this is something that should be taken into account because the data that fed the models to learn how to behave depends on the context. So this is also where other issues related to fairness came to place. So if we are using some data that are already biased, for example, they contain data 
of more males than females, then our model will learn from those data and it will be biased as well. So in the same way, if we are training our model in an home context, it will deliver very well home context tasks, but not in a such same way like a therapeutic one. So we should be very careful because what we are teaching our model is based on the data we are feeding it with. So I think another challenge for the future is around ethics, around fairness. Whenever we are designing such technology, we should ask a lot of questions. Is our model fair? Is our model treating every participant in the same way? So we have recently actually got us a best paper award in responsible AI in the Effective Computing and Intelligence Interaction Conference for a paper highlighting this aspect of fairness. So we actually collect a data set of um, a professional delivering a mental well-being session to participants. And we highlight how the model was aimed to predict the mental well-being of people given the nonverbal behavior. So facial expression, speech, blah, blah. And what we found out was that the model was biased. So we kind of showcase how can we take action, you know, implementing some bias mitigation technique to avoid that to happen in real-world application, sensitive as mental well-being. I think this is an interesting way where academia and industry has to work together and does collide also. We're also doing really interesting work on what we call AI assurance. So the idea that AI giving you inherently stochastic responses, how do you know that you know the data is um, all there? How do you know that it is reliable? It is not being maliciously manipulated for whatever reason? And so being able to ensure that your system is fair, but in practice and operation is also working as it should be. I think that's also an interesting challenge and both industry and academia would really benefit from having an opinion on this. Oh, good. It's a classic case of you've got to make sure it's tech for good. Yeah. So thank you. I think that that's been really interesting. You've given us a good overview on the research collaboration. And I think that like you've just said, Michelle, business academia coming together is it's really important where can people find the research if they want to dig a little deeper into your work so i'm gonna start from a more academic point of view you can find our scientific paper most of them are open access you can google them and find them if you are interested in this specific topic you can check hri conferences effective computing and intelligence interaction uh, conferences and Roman conference. So those are all conferences that publish in this research topic. And then especially in Cambridge, there are plenty of event-based opportunities. Yeah. And Cambridge Consultants also has a group called Human Machine Understanding, which I'm part of. This is a passionate topic of us, not just applying technology to mental well-being, but applying technology to automation challenges to challenges where we want to help support people empathetically do the right thing. So you know, not just from a command and control point of view, but from shared mental models, so from understanding the task and the person. So we publish a lot of work on our website as well, insights pieces, operations with other universities. Yeah, things like that. So final question. I mean, whilst this is still at the research stage, have you thought ahead to potential commercial routes of the technology, the software, the hardware? My point of view is more research-wise, so I'm not really into business, but I would love this research to move forwards and go to the market. And 
actually there are a lot of products already on the market. I think research and um, our collaboration aims to lay the foundation for um, people to begin picking up insights. So how if you are developing your own platform, your own app, your own robotic system um, for children, for elderly, um, for whatever, what are some things you should take into consideration, like physical form factors, like ethics, like linking to large language models. So I think we want to lay the foundation for future work to take place. Well, fantastic. I mean, thanks both of you for uh, spending some time with us today. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Thank you. Today's show was produced by Carl Homer of Cambridge TV and supported by our media partner, Business Weekly. The Cambridge Tech Podcast is available on all major podcast platforms and on cambridgetechpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star review. It will really help others discover the show. Winter Comfort is the day support service for people facing homelessness in Cambridge. We offer advice and support to help people restore their sense of dignity, of control and hope. Winter Comfort helps rebuild lives. Visit wintercomfort.org.uk to find out how you can help us to help those in greatest need in our community.